0: Welcome, everyone, to Monday match analysis. I'm Bill Gross. The ATP season is out with a bang. What a week that was in London. What a final that was between Stefanos Tsitsipas and Dominic Thiem, and Tsitsipas comes away with the biggest title of his career. He skipped a step. He's never won a 500. He's never won a 1000. He went right. ...up to the ATP Finals, taking the crown. It was an epic three-setter, and I can't wait to get into it. That's your thumbnail. It's Pass basking in the glory. And, I mean, he he's a player who takes the wins with the fullest amount of elation... ...and the losses with the fullest extent of despondency. Uh, Pass is so emotional, um, and that's continued. He's quite the character... And quite the player. What a performance that was. Both players should be incredibly proud of what they showed us on Sunday. Before I get into the match, a couple of housekeeping items. One, I will be doing an interview. It will be out Wednesday with Deadspin's former tennis writer, Gurry Nathan. He's one of the more talented writers, tennis writers out there, in my opinion. He uh, has very unique perspectives. I'm really excited to talk to him, uh, talk about tennis, talk about the current landscape of things, but also talk about what happened at Deadspin, where a large number of writers at the website quit in and basically a, a mass exodus from the website and this was a, a fascinating transpiring of events, and I want to talk to Nathan about what happened here. He was one of the writers who quit and left Deadspin. So now um, I believe he doesn't I – don't, I don't think he's um, with anyone at the moment. It's, it hasn't been very long, but I'm excited to talk to him. So an interview will be out on Wednesday that I think you guys are going to really enjoy. The second thing that I want to talk about is the coverage this week. And um, this really – this isn't – I wouldn't call this an apology, but I just want to communicate to you in an honest manner uh, the situation I'm in Um, and the reality of my situation is what I want to communicate to everyone. And that is that I believe that this channel is only 25% as good as it could be. It could be a lot better if I had the resource of time to put into it that I would love to have and that I may have in the future, but I don't have right now. I want to cover Nadal and Medvedev and that incredible comeback from 5-1. I want to cover his three-setter with Tsitsipas. I want to cover team's win over Federer. But... The the time that I have allotted to do this show is finite, and sometimes I have to pick and choose. So that's why it was two days late, a recap of djokovic Fetter because I needed to pick one, I, because that's what I had time to do. I picked djokovic Feder. I felt that that was the most significant result of the week that I wanted to dig into, and uh, I was able to get it out late, I thought, better than nothing. Turns out there wasn't a lot of interest there uh, because they were both out of the tournament. But uh, again, I'm not apologizing because there's nothing I can do. So why would I apologize? But rather communicating uh, what the situation is. There will be, uh, you know, things could change. The way this channel operates can change for the better. But right now, um, that's how it is. And I just wanted to say that. There's 75% room for for growth if I was able to put everything into this, um, and I think all we can do is is maybe hope that the the correct circumstances arise that that I can do that. All right, let's get into this match now. Titi Pass team. Today I'm just drinking water out of my um, USTA cup. Uh, this was, it, I had to think about where to go with this, and I settled on starting with the tie break and going through each and every point. There was so little between these two. There was um, very little, There there wasn't a lot of tactical interventions that gave either one the edge. So basically my progression of thought is, were there any tactics that I felt really swung the match? Were there any technical factors that really swung the match? So that could be, well, so-and-so you know, wasn't getting returns in play, or so-and-so was not mixing up, or um, their, their second serve wasn't kicking up and the, it was too easy to return, right? So these would be technical things, or... The forehand was... You know, he wasn't able to defend his backhand side. Technically, didn't really see much there that separated these two players. And mentally, I didn't really see much there that that separated these players. I thought that both of them um, are are dynamite, dynamite above the shoulders. So what we have is a match that came down to a couple points. So what better way... Than to start with this third set tie, tie break, dive into the points that swung the match, and then I'll talk about some more overarching themes. And there are some to, to talk about. The reason that I don't want to start with them is because I feel like it's a, it's doing a disservice to the simple fact that this match could have gone either way. And uh, it, was, it was really by the skin of... You know, basically razor-thin margins that decided this match. So let's let's go over this. We start with the first point of the tiebreak. It's um, it's a missed return from Titi Pas. His only missed return of this tiebreak in the first set tiebreak, Titi Pas missed a lot of returns. I want to say three or four, and that really gave Team the edge in the first set tiebreak. But uh, in the third set tiebreak. A uh, hundred sixteen mile per hour, slice serve out wide to Titi Pass's forehand on the deuce side. It stretched him out. He missed it long. One zero or zero one in favor of dominant team. Love one if we're if we're going with uh, our manners. If we're not forgetting our tennis etiquette, love one. Sometimes I say zero when it comes to tie breaks. I don't know why. Um, second point was a strong second serve. Inside-out forehand return from team. So team takes control of the point right away, right off the return. The ball sits up for team. He has a forehand from the ad side, the very forehand he wants, and he misses it long. It hit the strings he had all day. He just overhits it, overcooks it, and it's long. Keep that one in mind. The first point, Pass misses a return, forget about that. Throw that out the window, that's not going to come up again for the rest of the tiebreak. But team overcooking a forehand, and a pretty easy one at that, keep that one in mind. One-all. This is one of the best points by Pass of the tiebreak, and it's a, a point that was pretty unique. It's a strong wide serve from Tsitsipas. Opens up the court. He, he hits a backhand into the open court. So, deuce side, out wide serve, gets team off the court, hits a backhand into the open court, comes to the net, puts away, the, puts away a smash. 2 1 CT Pass leads. Now, 1 2. Great backhand return from Stefanos off of a first serve from team. It's just inside the baseline. Scorching return. But a good cross court backhand puts, and then a, a good cross court backhand puts team in a really tough spot. I want to show you this now. So keep in mind, what started this point was a great return from Titi Pass. and now uh, one shot later, here's the predicament that Dominic Team is in. To me, this is a really tough spot. He's hitting this ball on the rise. He's hitting it open, sp- open stance on the run. It's going to be very hard for team to hit this down the line, which is probably if you're looking at the screenshot, you're probably thinking, wow, look at that open court team can go line here, but he really can't. The likelihood of the the difficulty to go line there over the high part of the net and the short court, it would be, and changing direction to time that up correctly would be very difficult. So he almost needs to go cross. but what's the issue here? This is the issue here is that Titi Pass is basically camping out in his backhand corner, split stepping on the right sideline. Where so if team goes cross-court and it's not really, really good, it's gonna be right to Titi Pass's forehand, which is an incredibly scary shot. And he'd probably take time away and he could go inside in, he could go inside out. It's one of Titi Pass's best shots. This is really tough. So here's what happens. Team tries to make, goes cross court, but his target is very small. He knows he needs to try to get this to the backhand. So he goes for this angle and I know you can't tell from the screenshot, but he misses this just wide, just outside the right sideline on the far side. So I don't know how this was scored. Did they call this a forced error? Did they call this an unforced error? In my book, that's a forced error because of Tsitsipas' cross-court backhand and then his court positioning, his strong cross-court backhand, and then his court positioning and the fear hand. Brad Gilbert calls it the fear hand, and his fear hand drew the error. Not because he hit it, but because team was fearful of it shrunk the target and that's what caused the error there's the mini break teams up one three on the next point team hits a um let's see strong cross-court forehand off Pass. so okay right Pass hits a good second serve return but team has an even better reply off the first forehand a really heavy strong cross-court forehand this is going to draw the short ball. If you can get Pass on the run to his forehand, sometimes you can. Um, his depth can really take a dip. So pass gets the short ball. He draws it. Now watch his footwork. In my opinion, team makes a mistake here. Here's the running forehand. This is the short ball. And I drew a red circle in the spot where I feel like team should be looking to to move his feet to. If Team opened up his his hips the other way and shuffled to that red dot, he would have had a forehand, his best weapon in the middle of the court. But this is puzzling and questionable footwork to me by Team because he goes to hit a backhand here. And it's rarely would should we see Team hitting a backhand from the middle of the court on an attackable ball. He could have made this a forehand, and team misses this backhand below the tape, towards the middle of the net, not height wise, but width wise. He, uh, it's it's in the middle of the net. Even if he made this backhand, team would have been right there. So this this was tough because this is a short ball for team, and it results in in Pass winning the point. Now. One four. Team hits a return off of a first serve. Good job getting it in play, but it was central, and Tsitsipas has control of the point. But Team takes a neutral ball on the backhand, and just rips it cross court to draw the error. It's a it's very aggressive shot selection from Team, and this is going to be a a theme. He's taking a neutral ball off the backhand or a neutral ball in general and he's attacking off that ball. Even if it's not necessarily a short ball, even if there's if Pass has good court position and there's no real reason to go after it, this was t- the nature of team shot selection at this point in the match. And this is very important when talking about what decided this tiebreak. At 2-4, Team runs around a backhand on the deuce side and hammers a second serve return. Gets an inside out forehand and rips it, goes to the net, and puts away a smash. This was a signature second serve return point by team where his forehand took over and won him the point. And there's your mini breaks. So, team with a brilliant backhand off a neutral ball and then a much more sustainable, a beautifully drawn-up point off of a great second serve return by team gets back the second mini-break. Now it's 3-4. Uh, second serve to Pass's backhand by team. Decent return, starts the point neutral, but right away, team goes for broke. Backhand down the line. Hits it with great depth, incredible pace, makes it in the court, Too much for Titi Pas to handle. He can't defend, so, and Titi Pas hit a good enough return here where he probably thought that he was. This was gonna be a good point starter, start a neutral rally, but Team just goes for broke right away. Backhand down the line, moving backwards. By the way, Titi Pas's return was good enough where it actually moved Team backwards. But even moving backwards, he still rips it down the line. For all. Good slice out wide on the first serve. Tsitsipas gets the ball back in play, but it's attackable, and team shanks the forehand. Doesn't hit the strings; it goes long. Unforced error from team. Five-four. Tsitsipas leads now. That's the mini break. The the match is on his racket. Second serve, long neutral rally. Team rips a backhand down the line. Tsitsipas has excellent pace absorption. Because Team hits this really heavy and he's able to neutralize cross court forehand by Tsitsipas. But it's short enough where Team gets another shot at this. He goes to attack it and it hits the tape. It was a forehand down the line that probably it might have it probably would have won him the point. And it was right there for him. It was in the midcourt and he just hit the tape. And team knew it. Team knew that was that chance. He put his hands on his head after missing that forehand. It was exactly what he wanted after a really well played point by both. Um, But there's another unforced error. Six-four Tsitsipas, set point, and I'll show you what happens now with some screenshots. Uh, You you remember earlier in the tiebreak, I told you about the best point team played, where he on the deuce side, Tsitsipas' second serve went T. He ran around it. Ripped a forehand line or inside out, then hit another inside out forehand and put the volley away. Team is anticipating the second serve down the tee. So watch his split step. You see him move to his left here. From here to here, team jumps to his left and Tsitsipas hits a very, uh, very much a slider tailing serve out wide, and team catches it late and misses the return. And that was it. So what's the theme here? What happened here? Well, almost every single point was won or lost on team's racket. Here's here's what happened with Tsitsipas. He played more within himself and therefore was the steadier player, and it won him the match. You do not need to win every point in tennis. You just can't lose. You don't have to win. You just have to lose less. This is uh, this is the kind of mindset that Tsitsipas is not known for. It's more of a young Nadal or Djokovic-like mindset. But the steadier player who makes less errors, who plays more within themselves, in this case... Uh, Titi Pas was rewarded for playing more within himself. For team, it was unbelievably aggressive shot selection on a consistent basis here, and what you got was some really spectacular shot making, some some points that he won because of it. Some points where he took some backhands down the line and um, it paid off, but also. Some uh, instances where, or not enough instances where the ball found the court, and too many instances where he was giving Titi Pass points where, you know, Stefanos, all he had to do was not be first to miss. And if your team, you want to ask a little bit more of your opponent than he did in this tiebreak. So let's just tally it up. The first point was one on team's on team's terms. The second point um, was one on team I mean was lost on team's terms, an unforced error. The third point was on TT Passes' terms. Second point, I mean fourth point was on TT Passes' terms. So that's two points on TT Passes' terms. I think from that point on when TT Pass led 3-1, I'm pretty sure Uh, Every single point, or 4-1 rather, no, 3-1, every single point was on team's terms. Every single one, either an error from team or a winner slash forced error drawn by team. So it was really a go-for-broke kind of mentality for team and shot selection that is more indicative of the old Dominic team than the new Dominic team, but is m- more suitable for this surface, I will add. Uh, that's what got him into trouble, but not consistent enough on this occasion. Here's some general notes for the match before we move on. Um, and I'm just going to pull it up on my phone. The The first set was... was um, Really good serving, not as good returning, and I think Titi Pas struggled a bit on the first serve return, and Team struggled on the second serve return because Team was experimenting with his court position when he moved back. Titi Pas was serve volleying, and for the rest of the match, Team didn't move back anymore, but struggled on the forehand return uh, off of Titi Pas's second serve and missed a lot of returns, missed a good amount of second serve returns. And that was partially well done by Tsitsipas by planting that seed, serve volleying in the first set. But Tsitsipas wasn't making enough returns, and team was serving well, but he didn't find the timing until the second and third sets where Stephanos was returning impeccably. I mean, he really found it. And I think that his one-handed backhand is a little bit more well-equipped to turn into a strong... Um, aggressive return, and I think he's more likely to be able to hit over the ball because his one-handed backhand is shorter than most. It's shorter than teams. It's shorter than Shapovalov's. It's a tad shorter than Vavrinka's, and I think it's a little bit more similar to uh, Federer's in the length of stroke and how much time he needs to get it off. And I think it's not quite as beautiful as like Shapovalov's. Feel free to disagree. But I think it's more effective maybe for that reason, because he doesn't have that long looping stroke. It's much more of an uh, abbreviated take-back, and he kind of just punches forward at it. Doesn't have as much of that long loop. Great net play by both made defense irrelevant. So remember when I when I gave team the slight edge, I said three sets, tight, but I gave team the edge. I just thought that maybe there would just be a little bit, uh, that team would be able to win a little bit more points off of his back foot than Tsitsipas would be able to from, from, um, from defensive positions. Thought that maybe that would be the case. But Tsitsipas volleyed so well, team volleyed so well, that I felt that defense was a non-factor in this match. Net play kills defense, especially on this surface, because once someone comes to the net, well, now I can't hit my high loopy defense. I can't hit my continental grip defense where I'm, uh, I'm hitting defensive slices is what I mean by that. That goes out the window. If I slice, I'm dead. If I use height and margin, I'm dead. Easy volley, put away. So, what you need to do when someone approaches the net is you need to counterattack. It takes defense out of the equation. Team could not find passing shots, especially on his backhand. He could not find passing shots. Um, but in the first set, it came down to the tiebreak. Tsetse Pass missed too many returns. Uh, at six all in the first set tiebreak, also, it was a tight second serve from Tsetse Pass, and team pounced on it, hit a really strong forehand. Um, off of the, off of the return. So that's what the, the first set was so tight. That's what swung it. I think that team won a total of one more point than Pass in the first set. In the second set though, at Love All, team just plays a terribly loose game and Pass really, uh, he, he, he f- finds his return. Now, and dominates the second set. I don't I don't know if I want to even say much more than that. I mean there was, there was a uh, team was outmatched in the second set. His level dipped and at love all, you know, he he gave he gave TT Pass the confidence, I would say, but from that point on TT Pass was just dominant on serve, first strike tennis, net play, forehand, backhand to backhand was dominating team, backhand to backhand. And I don't know if I thought that that would be the case or or how many people would think that would be the case, but Think backhand to backhand, Titi Paz dominated in the second set. In the third set, it got a little bit more even because team found his backhand down the line, found the range on that. Made some crucial errors with it though. Um, in the third set, T Paz's incredible returning continues and puts a lot of pressure on team team with some clutch, clutch, clutch serving. And that's what's going to also be a difference at Wimbledon, at the Australian Open, on fast surfaces, if team wants to have success. God, he's serving bigger. I, I talked about it in the preview, but he's serving bigger. He's serving clutch to go along with his net play, to go along with his improved returning. Um, now, Tsitsipas goes up a break here. It looks like he's got it. And I got to say, Pass to this point... What a focused match. Focus is so important in tennis. So important. And God, Stefanos has it. God, he's good at focusing over the course of a match. And uh, I do think that when we talk about mental game and we talk about nerve management and maybe how frustrated people get and how people elevate in the big moments, a couple things. The most underrated aspect of mental game is focus. Stephanos has incredible focus. He played one loose game for the entire match, and it was in the third set. Um, he missed a he missed a swinging volley, and he hit two unforced errors and gave team the break back. So that's where it came. It became extremely close. I think from that point on, uh, team started to really take control of the match with his power, but also make tons of errors. So, and, and that's what, what we saw at play in the tiebreak. So that's my thoughts on the match. And it was the best I've seen, some of the best tennis I've seen Tsitsipas play on his return. Some of the best I've seen him hit his backhand, but that's been the case all week. But just uh, showing that his forehand is a weapon right up there with teams, and it was an un it was unreal tennis by both. So I posed the question in comment response: Was this the best match in a big tournament final? Not by uh, not including a next gen. Excuse me, not including a member of the big three, because the tiebreak was so tense. It was such a delight to watch. I mean, the it was tight, and it was both players were really going at each other with a with a warrior's mentality. and they were trading blows back and forth. it was so it was so tense but was also played with such ruthless aggression by both players. And uh, you guys had some interesting answers. I want to read some of them. Um, some of you said Del Potro versus Murray in 2016 in Rio. Some of you said um, Murray against Ferrer in, my, in the Miami final in 2013. Now, that's a match that came to my mind after I asked the question. I think that was a better match than this match. I thought that match was was uh, over the course of three sets at an even higher level than than this match. So, Murray-Ferrer... Murray Del Potro in Rio, and then we also got what else did we get? Um, Del Potro Chilich Davis Cup Final 2016. <laughs> um, Murray Ferrer Murray Delpo at the Olympics. So those are the matches we got. There's a very interesting comment though that I will read on this. Uh, coming up. All right. Comment response. Sap save. He's very good. Or she is very good at getting these top comments. Sap save. Why are the big three so dominant in the best of five setting for the slams, but sometimes struggle in the shorter best of three matches and ATP finals? It's a really good question. Maybe that's why it's top comment again. Really good question. Uh, Two points. The first point is the big three are at an unbelievable advantage for the majors based on how they schedule. Freshness is such a weapon, physical freshness, uh, that can provide the kind of energy reserves that that other players don't have when they enter a major. Players who are fighting, who are very concerned about prize money and rankings points... They pretty much are playing every week. It is a luxury to be like Nadal or Djokovic or Federer and get to pick and choose which tournaments they play, which tournaments they don't. And they tailor make their schedule to peak for the slams, to have 100% readiness for the slams, to not be, to come in, match tough, but well-rested. And most players on tour just don't have that luxury. They need the money. They need the rankings points. They have to play, whether that be on the Challengers Tour, whether that be playing 500s and 250s in the lead up to slams. There is no one who can schedule for the majors like the big three. And that's going to help them more so in the slams than it's going to help them in the Masters events where, well, maybe they're not in peak condition yet. Certainly, that's been true for Novak Djokovic coming into Masters um, in less than peak condition in 2019. I believe that's happened on a couple of occasions. I mean, the second thing is the best of three format. That for sure plays in. You're going to get more variable. With less sample size, you get uh, more variable. That is true if you do a scientific study. That is true In tennis, if I want to figure out if people like uh, vanilla ice cream or chocolate ice cream more, I'm just going to get a less accurate response if I only pull three people than if I pull 500. Well, if I want to figure out who's better, Medvedev or Tsitsipas, I'm going to get a better answer if I make them play more than if I make them play best of three sets. I'll get more variable. So that probably plays in as well. I mean, how many times have we seen someone get two sets on someone in the big three? And yeah, but you got to win another. <laughs> I mean, that's tough. You got to win another. And, and you're in this case, the inferior player. And you have to win another. That's a tougher task. Mahmoud Abdelaziz. Mahmoud. Mahmoud Abdelaziz. I bet I got that right. I think that's right. How do you rate Federer's chances at the Australian Open next year, given the progress team is making on hard courts and the other next-gen players too? How far in 2020 you think Nadal will keep up his world number one ranking? Um, and Then Murray Vavrinka, French Open 2017. Yeah, but that, I, that wasn't a final. No. No, yes, it was. Sorry. <laughs> My bad. Great, great job by me, uh, of course, in the in the historian category as usual. Um, Feder at the Australian Open, yeah, it, it's it's obviously I think he still has a chance at Wimbledon in the Australian Open, and very little chance outside of that. I I can't see him winning at the French ever, which is not a bold statement, but but even the U.S. Open, I I can't see it. The Aussie, here's what it's going to come down to. Let me simplify this. It's going to come down to his energy and his form and his consistency – But it's going to come down to his energy. He needs a run at Wimbledon where he played a pretty quick four-setter against Nishikori in the quarters and then managed to play a pretty quick four-setter against Nadal in the semifinals. That match was not very physical, not very long, so he had 100% gas tank, I think, uh, for the Djokovic match. That's what it takes. It's difficult to achieve that. A lot of that has to do with draw. But I think that what's concerning is that there are so many more players that can challenge Federer, like the teams of the world, the Medvedevs of the world, the Zverevs of the world, who's had great success against Federer. And uh, maybe there are some other incoming threats. I do think we need to start thinking about the noise that Murray could make in 2020, possibly. So uh, even if Federer is better than some of those players and will continue to be better than some of those players in 2020, which is a possibility. Will he be able to beat them quickly enough to have enough gas tank for the semis and the finals to make a run? A lot has to go right. That's what I make of Federer's chances. A lot has to go right. He's got to get through matches quickly and a lot's got to go right. Um, Haider Raha, long comment here, but bear with me. Team beat Federer and Djokovic on arguably their best surfaces and probably his worst surface back-to-back. Medvedev came so close to winning the U.S. Open, pushed Djokovic in Australia. And now the way Tsitsipas has developed himself on the quicker courts, do you think he will be a huge threat in Australia and Wimbledon as well, perhaps? Based on these facts, also that this is the the first time that none of the big three members have played the final in the year-end championships when they've all participated since 2009, does this genuinely signal the changing of the guard for 2020? This is what people were talking about. Changing of the guard? Changing of the guard? And uh, it's a fair question, but no, not yet. Because the best three players in 2019 were Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer still, the top three. It's not a changing of the guard if some of them pass Federer yet. It's not really a changing of the guard if one of them passed Nadal or Djokovic, but still, it was one or the other at the top, at number one. It'll only be a changing of the guard when they're consistently beating these guys, and I don't see that coming in 2020. I I don't. Now, I feel like Dominic Team is going to be a huge threat at every single slam, and this is a comment that I don't think is going to be popular, but I'm going to make it. I think that Dominic Team is going to retire with a better career and, and very likely more slams than Stan Wawrinka. I think that's the way he's developing, and that's his career trajectory. I mean, I am very high on Team. I think Medvedev's a threat. I think Tsitsipas is a threat, but I can't see anything outside of one of them maybe winning one or two majors this year and the other two, more likely three and somewhat likely all four, go to the big three again. So I see 2020 as maybe a transitional year where someone breaks through, but not a changing of the guard. Whoops try to get through a couple more rather quickly. Oh, I actually didn't take screenshots of any more. Um, but let's see if we can get some more. I will go to the 40 minute mark no longer. Uh, Oh, I wanted to get to this one. Jake Andrews asks, "Will Medvedev's collapse against Nadal affect him next season in big matches? And what do you make what do you make of his reliance on taking out his frustration on his box every time he loses a point? Doesn't this show his opponent he's kind of weak when put under pressure? You rarely see Rafa or Roger show anything between points. Uh, eh, I don't know about that last statement." But certainly not a lot of yapping towards the box by Roger or Rafa. And this will be be the last one. It's a good question to end it. I don't make anything of Medvedev going 0 for 3. 0 for 4 for his last four matches in 2019. I don't make anything of it. I think he's going to turn the page. I think he was physically exhausted, had nothing left in the gas tank, and it's understandable. You cannot play nonstop every day almost for two and a half months and not feel the consequences physically. Medvedev felt the consequences physically and uh, also played some decent tennis in London, ran into a very hot Tsitsipas who uh, gave him a good beating, then should have beaten Nadal. He melted down, up five one, and Nadal is. Uh, there's no quit in Rafa. A lot of players would have would have uh, would have quit, but there's no quit in Nadal. Um, in terms of the box, that's something that Medvedev needs to correct. But I think he will correct because I think he has a lot of self awareness and I think he has high maturity. Uh, but I. But yes, I think that that shows opponents. Exactly when he's frustrated, it shows opponents, okay, now I have the momentum, because Medvedev doesn't do that when he's winning. He does it when he's losing. He does it when things are going wrong. He does it consistently when things are going wrong, and it is a direct signal to the other side of the net that uh, you're doing something right, Uh, so Medvedev needs to get that out of his game. All right, as I said, an interview I'm really looking forward to with Gurry Nathan, former Deadspin tennis writer. There will also be a lot of co- uh, content still to end the year, uh, not inc- or including the annual Monday Match Analysis Awards, one of the best shows of the year, always. So although the tennis season is done, we're not done. There will also be an off-season series on every single player in the top... Eh, we'll see how, how much we extend it, but probably the top 10. And in addition to that... I will look back on, um, on the season, possibly with Steve Flink, but also maybe just as an episode unto its own. So there's a lot of content still to come. Hope you enjoyed this one. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wallet. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean the mini-fridge? It's a mini-fridge, yeah, It's a mini-fridge. Yeah, mini fr- mini yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcast. Yes.